Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, ho, 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 Seattle. Hey, welcome back to Saturday Night Live here in the studio of KVI. I'm Christopher Chan, your host of Happy Hour Radio, Advanced Sommelier, and your your own Chris Kringle here. Uh, gosh, Christmas is upon us. Uh, you can almost hear the uh, jingle bells in the air. And, of course, here in studio, I've got uh, a bow and a bell. We've got some great spirits because this is the time to share some great spirits. Hopefully, everyone has good spirits uh, in your heart and in your hand. And today, uh, I'm super pleased to uh, sit down with the co-founder of Westland Distillery, as well as the brand ambassador for one of uh, Italy's uh, famed uh, aperitifs, uh, Luxardo. And I have Jessica, Jessica Manzi, and she is here in studio. And we're going to taste uh, and talk some holiday recipes for perhaps some punch and, uh, well, some, some tasty drinks. So let's waste no time. Uh, Jessica Manzi, welcome to Happy Hour. Hi, thanks. Great to have you here. So tell me about Luxardo. Luxardo, uh, we've heard about the cherries. I've seen the bottles, and it seems like it's a little bit of a mystery. Clear it up. Okay. Uh, it is one of the oldest distillers in Europe. They got founded in 1821. Kind of a cool story. Some Italian business guy was uh, on assignment, and his wife started distilling this maraschino. And it took off so hard that he abandoned his business and just founded a distillery for her. Wait, so the the wife was just lighting fires and putting on a big pot and then for, uh, capturing the steam? Did she have some experience before, or she must have been the cook and figured it out? Um, she just started playing with a formula for a really traditional Italian spirit called uh, Rosolio Maraschino. So it's these sour marasca cherries and rose petals, and it just took off for her. Interesting. And so that is... Uh, I guess it's called an eau de vie because you're using cherries, or you call it a, say it again, Roschello? Rosolio Meraschino. Rosolio Meraschino. Um, I would qualify it as a liqueur. It's a, a sugar-added product, but it's um, it's distilled, so, you know, it's got a um, a higher ABV than, well, it's it's not an eau de vie because okay. I, would, I would put that higher. So it's got flavors in it. It's a sugar. Interesting. Uh, and so that was the start of this uh, famous brand, the, the oldest distillery in Europe? Um, in Italy, for sure, 1821 is when it was founded, and that's actually the, the same recipe that they're using today. Really? So many product extensions are there in the Luxardo brand? Um, they've distilled many products over the years. Um, the Maraschino liqueur was the first one that they did. The second one was um, sort of like a, a cherry brandy-based liqueur um, that uses the juice from those cherries. It's called a Song Merlaco. And it can be used in place of like a, a sweet liqueur in cocktails. It's got a really nice cherry flavor. And then they kind of branched out to other things. They've been distilling a gin for um, 150 years in Europe. And that's where their newest product in the American market, the sour cherry gin, comes from. Is this from the northern northern regions of Italy with the, the, the pre-Alps? Is this in uh, Torino or pre Piedmont? Do you know I'm American? Are you going to try to test my geography? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> um, they did. They they moved from um, sort of the main part of Europe into Dalmatia okay, in the yeah. beginning. Very good. And then during uh, World War II, they actually got expelled from the region. Um, it's this huge, kind of crazy story. And the um, the surviving member of the fourth generation actually... 
in a, a romantic story, escaped with a single cherry sapling to restart the brand anew um, in their new home. Wow. wonder where he hid it. It's a very good question I hadn't thought about. There's only one place to hold a sapling, and that's uh, in your hat, like the little feather of William Tell or what it might be. And uh, Well, that's pretty exciting. It's always fun to learn the history behind the label, behind the name Luxardo. Uh, was that the, the name of the family? Yes. All right. Well, good. So this is a family product. And you happen to bring in um, something which is really cool. It's a colorful uh, liqueur. Uh, or tell me what this is. I, I think it's liqueur, but what is it? It is actually a gin. So if you follow that production history, you've got that maraschino liqueur that began. And then that juice gets um, naturally fermented and aged and mixed with a high-proof spirit to make that song Morlocco, that cherry brandy-based um, liqueur. And this is the newest product that they're using that juice for. So it is a London dry gin that they have been distilling in the European market for years and years, and they're infusing it with that Marasca cherry juice. So it's got that beautiful oh. kind of deep red color. It's got um, a sour cherry flavor. It's, it's all natural. It's gorgeous. All right. Well, so it is a gin. It's juniper-based, and correct. it's distilled from grain. And uh, when you say it's it's actually distilled in Italy, correct? Or is they? That's right. All right. Very good. So I've got this little dram, if we will, a, a wee sip. Uh, well, look at the cross on the bottom of that. A bitter. Some people might drink mezcal out of that, but we're doing gin today. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Uh, well, that if people are wanting to get into gin, this is certainly a great uh, entree because. Um, just the faint juniper. It actually goes, it tastes very Christmassy, if I will. Or Yeah, I think it works really well for the season. Yeah, uh, Kwanzaa year. Um, and the Marasco cherries, is that the same cherry they use in for Luxardo cherries, or is that a different That's right. cherry? It's, it's an entire family empire built on this one tree. So um, those are the, the one sapling. On the one proud little sapling. Um, those are the cherries that are, are put through a proprietary process to make those beautiful cocktail garnish cherries that you can get in stores. And that's where this um, the color comes from in this product. All right. And it says uh, Luxardo Prim Italian Sour Cherry Flavored Gin. Now, the whole idea of sour cherry is, is unique because I think there's sour beers and, then of course, there are bitter aperitivos and things. Um, this is slightly sour. It has a little bit of acidity to it, but it's not necessarily – it tastes kind of sweet. Yeah. I mean, it's um, – the, the sour cherry is like a, a breed. It's a description of the cherry. So it's not necessarily a sour product. Ah, okay, so it's, it's a happy sour cherry. It's there not a go. sour face cherry. Milk face. Uh, pretty cool. You have some recipes for this because this is a pretty unique spirit. I do. Um, some easy things that you could put together at home uh, for entertaining or just for yourself. Um, <laughs> yes, I like to entertain myself. I'll uh, pour some cocktails. Uh, a sour cherry gin ricky is a really easy way to start out. All you're going to need is three things, ice in a glass. So two ounces of this sour cherry gin. Um, Three-quarter ounce lime juice. I really like to do fresh, especially if I'm at home. Yeah, just... roses is not necessarily a lime juice. Let's just no. put it that way. And it's super easy to just squeeze a lime, get one of those little elbow presses. It's done in 20 seconds. Mix that up with um, soda in a, a glass with ice. You can add sugar if you like, but I feel like trends are kind of going towards less sweet cocktails. And this has enough residual sugar from the fruit that I think it stands really nicely on its own. 
Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, um, and if you're using sugar, you probably either want to make a simple syrup, which is half water, half granulated sugar, or get the bartender's sugar, which is a very fine granulated sugar, so that'll dissolve easily in drinks. Uh, you know, don't shake it with the soda. So is this kind of a layered drink, right? Yeah, you can just build it in the glass, give it a little stir. It's so, so easy to do. You can do it while you're entertaining in the kitchen. And who was Ricky, by the way? Gin Ricky? Is that just a, a term for the gin and soda and a lime? Um, yeah, Ricky is spelled with an E-Y, so I guess I've never looked up if it was a dude or if... I have no idea. <laughs> look that up later. All right, well, we'll uh, call it uh, Ricky, a uh, Gin Ricky, Sour Cherry Gin Ricky with uh, Luxaro Sour Cherry Morasco Gin. Um, if you want to make a punch, this seems like one of those ingredients that can really add a hint of complexity to something. Uh, do you have any punch recipes? Because it's easy to make, you know, a big three or four gallons of it and... Yeah, I Entertain. I love doing a punch during the holidays. It's a really nice way to make a lot of cocktail at once, and then you're not having to like sit in your kitchen making a drink for every person that comes through. So what I like to do is start with how many drinks do I want to make? Or do I want to go really easy and just use a whole bottle of spirit and build from that? So you want to keep in mind, um, you're probably going to want to follow the original punch recipe, which is your spirit, something sour, something sweet, um, maybe a little hint of bitter, and then make sure you're adding water because you don't want to have just like straight spirit. Water can come in the form of That'd ice. Call like a or, Manhattan. <laughs> I mean, you can make a Manhattan punch. Anything can be punched. I absolutely believe that to be true. So um, you just want to take your original cocktail um, sort of spef specifications and just dial it up and add maybe 15 to 20 percent water and then um, chill it in the fridge. You can bring it out at party time. And a really fun touch is ahead of time, you can freeze a block of water with fun stuff in it. You can do citrus, you can do fruit, you can do edible flowers, um, freeze it in like a brownie pan. Pop it into your punch bowl, pour your punch on top of it, and it's going to keep it cold and look really cute throughout your party. Oh, interesting. So a glass pan, I get it. And then you've got, uh, you can see uh, perhaps some of the ingredients, as long as you're not using something too cloudy, right? When we think about citrus, too, something sour, obviously we're looking at either lemon or lime or perhaps even grapefruit, which gets you sour and bitter. Sure. Um, are there other ingredients out there that someone might use? I, would, would you suggest maybe just buying like a lemonade, which is sour and sweet? You can absolutely do that. Um, you can use tea. If you want to make like an iced tea ahead of time, that's going to bring your dilution and a little bit of bitter. Um, but it's going to be nice and herbal and refreshing as well. Um, you can also do, you can take store-bought bitters and add those as your bitter element and extend it with water just like before. There's a lot of really good um, punch recipes you can look up online and you can always tailor them to make them your own. Fantastic. Uh, if people want to learn more about Luxardo, the company, and perhaps that story and the cat who brought the sapling, <laughs> is there a website we can uh, refer to? Absolutely. You can just go to um, luxardo.com or go through Hodling, which is the U.S. importer, and all of that information is going to be on their website. Hodling. How do you spell that? Like that gal Hoda? Uh, who? <laughs> She's on a morning show. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, of course, you're not all, a morning person. You're favorites. in the alcohol business. Of course you're not a morning person. You're a late night morning person. Uh, okay, so luxardo.com. And again, or, you've got, uh, I know, Hoda, that, we're not going to be able to spell that, are we? Uh, and just take a guess and see where it lands you. Okay. <laughs> Typically, it lands you in some place that has a lot of malware. That's what I find. But um, this is really tasty. I'm glad you brought this. I hadn't had this particular um, uh, expression of Luxardo, and it, it's a gin. It's, it's really a kind of a cool, crazy gin. I know that gins are being a little more... Um, 
well, they go from dry, they're getting a little more wet, if you will, with some of the uh, flavors they're adding and trying to, to capitalize on that uh, vodka craze that took over and is now gone. Um, again, remind me what other products Luxardo carries. So you've got that um, maraschino liqueur. The song- that's clear, right? That's in it the is. in the uh, wicker basket. It's got the wrap around it. Yeah, it's their their most iconic bottle. It's tall and green with a, a wicker wrapping. That's kind of a callback to when they used to package that to put it on ships. It would keep the bottles from breaking. Oh yeah. Um, the Song Morlocco, which is a nice, deep, dark kind of cherry brandy liqueur. And then they've got a couple um, sort of bitter cocktailing elements. You've got a, an aperitivo. Mm-hmm. Sort of lands itself in the category of like a, an Aperol or a Campari, but a little more floral. And the Bitter Bianco, which makes oh. a beautiful uh, white Negroni. Isn't that relatively new? Is that a newer product? It's been around for a couple of years, okay. but it's it's new newer to, to the American market for sure. Right. Uh, well, a bitter, um, would you call it a Blanco Negroni? Um, uh, a white Negroni. White Negroni. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you want to get fancy, a white it Negroni. Can be I get it. Okay. All right. We'll call it a mulatto. How about that? Is that not even close? Um, well, really cool. What a pleasure. I'm glad we were able to connect. We we talked probably. We met two or three months ago at uh, Esquin, and these products are all available in um, the Better Fine Spirits st- stores sure. around. Yeah, you can get them at Esquin. Um, you can get them at Total Wines. Always a, a good option there. They've got a massive selection, and the. Uh, the liquor store up on 12th and Capitol Hill, actually, Northwest um, Liquor and Wine is great. Right. And so what's your favorite other cocktail that just that uses Luxardo? Is there something you can use with the Maraschino? You know, I actually like to get a little tiki in almost everything I do. Ah. If you take these big flavors and combine them with tropical ingredients, it gets super delicious. Um, counter it with a little uh, passion fruit or um, coconut. Get a little absinthe in there, and you've got a really nice like beginning to a tiki cocktail. Well, that's the, that sounds like a real mixologist that had plenty of time to play with uh, when using absinthe. Uh, can we light it on fire? That would be kind of fun with the tiki drinks. I kind of always expect that. I mean, you kind of got to. <laughs> you have to. Uh, Jessica Manzi with Luxardo, the brand ambassador. Um, what a treat. I'm glad we reconnected. Happy holidays. And uh, remember, that's the uh, gin rick. No, the sour gin ricky. What do we call it? Um, I call it a sour cherry gin ricky. Sour cherry gin ricky. Luxardo.com's got all the ingredients. Uh, Jessica, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thanks for having me. Hey, folks, uh, you got to have a, make some punch. Uh, I know this is this is the season, um, and always, you know, moderate. Make sure you know how much booze is in there because you want people to enjoy themselves and relax, but you never want them to be um, overly intoxicated, just intoxicated enough so that their jokes are funny and they can dance and uh, have a good time and uh, get that designated driver to your house. Hey, folks, it's a real treat. I've got Westland Distillery coming up next, so stick around. I'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. He's loud. He's proud. Holding nothing back. Michael Savage. The Savage Nation. Weeknights 9 to 11. Talk Radio 570. KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Ho, ho, ho. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Westland Whiskey time. What a treat. I have Matthew Hoffman, who is the co-founder and uh, main man, master distiller there. He's in studio. We've got four expressions of this. We're going to learn all about uh, really one of the jewels of the micro distillation uh, industry here in the Pacific Northwest. Without further ado, uh, Matthew Hoffman, welcome to Happy Hour. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me, and thanks for the really kind words there. Uh, I, I mean it. You know, if I don't like it, I won't talk about it. Fair enough. <laughs> Basically, well, let's move on to the next thing. But you guys have come out with this huge vision, so I'm really curious to say you are co-founder. Um, before we jump into that, when when did you start drinking? Oh, boy. Do I have to answer that? I, mean, I was, I was 14. <laughs> it was Miller High Life and two, and I was laughing my ass off. Yeah, you know, I think <laughs> I think everybody starts starts somewhere in the years that are before they're supposed to. Right. And uh, inquisitive years. We'll call yeah, them. exactly. It's a period of exploration. So but at the same time, that's also where my interest in whiskey started at that same time, too. You know, just a really I don't know for something for me, something clicked there as a as an interest. Um, again, way earlier than it probably should have. But that's carried on through my whole life. Well, good for you. My dad had Laphroaig 10 in the whiskey cabinet, and I took a pull of that, and that uh, curtailed my interest in anything <laughs> smoky and peaty. Um, and I didn't figure it out until like in my mid-30s when I had a rusty nail. I'm like, holy smokes, that peat stuff really makes sense to me. But when we think about whiskey, obviously, it comes from the Gaelic Uskabe, meaning water of life, and there's all sorts of whiskeys around the world. Um, tell me how you got into the distillation business. Yeah, I mean, for me, again, being really interested in in flavor at the beginning and learning about whiskey and the beauty of whiskey is so as how s- simple it is you know it's it's four ingredients you know if you're a chef you've got all these different things to work with um and the the beauty of trying to create something that is delicious and you're completely bound by the realities of what you have to work with malted barley yeast water and then oak barrels for maturation and that's it and i love the challenge of that and uh but the more and more we got into it the more i realized this region you know i'm from the pacific northwest born okay. and bred and this region is meant to produce a style of whiskey that we haven't done before because we have no history. Interesting. Um, but that's, so that's a cosmic message I'm almost hearing, something harmonious from the Olympic forest. Well, that's that's kind of the beauty of it is just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing it. And uh, I think that's that's what's exciting. You know, that's what Westland is in a nutshell is, is and what the Northwest is in a nutshell is, you know, everything's kind of new here. So you can start fresh and and approach a subject, even a subject here that's hundreds of years old, and do something new and interesting in it. And I think that's incredibly exciting. So when did Westland's genesis begin? So we founded the business in 2010. And that was the year that Washington State allowed micro-distillation, is that correct? I think it started in 2007 or maybe 2008. So we were one of the first to to take advantage of that, certainly. Yeah, that was a bad time for for people starting to dump a bunch of money somewhere. Especially in the whiskey business, that's the definition of dumping money in a place and not seeing any for a while. This is true. Yeah. Well, who were the partners? Who were the, some of the um, progenitors to sort of jump on this idea, this inspiration? Yeah, I started the business with uh, with a friend of mine that I went to high school with and his family, and you know they were in the pulp and paper business as really? as, as it as it happens. And um, you know, if there's one type of business you can understand the the length of time <laughs> that that oh, you yeah. have in whiskey, you know, it's you know we're almost ten years, um, you know, ten years in here, and you have to be comfortable with that. This is not a, you know, a, a tech startup where you can start it and flip it and, you know, make money right away or not. So, you know, it's the time scale is, is totally different. So they were able to understand that um, and commit to it because we, we made nothing but whiskey and nothing but single malt. Um, so we had no revenue for years. Right. And that's a, that's a huge thing. I know. Let's cue uh, Orson Welles uh, here, that voice. <laughs> we will serve no whiskey before it's time. So this is really your idea. You said, I want to do something unique and different, but in a, in a more precise method or manner. Yeah. It's not so much that I wanted to be unique for the sake of being unique. I just 
I just love my home here. This is, you know, this you... is the Pacific Northwest, and the subject, you know, what we're doing with Westland is we're we're manifesting the Pacific Northwest. You know, right. we make nothing but single malt whiskey, um, which for the listeners is is nothing but 100% malted barley. And this is one of the best barley-growing climates in the world. This is true. We've got the best of so many different climes here. Absolutely. And a bounty, a cornucopia. Um, I mean, we've got everything. We've got coffee to keep you awake, <laughs> beer to satisfy that thirst, and wine to be uh, um, you know, sophisticated, and, of course, whiskey to be contemplative. And uh, I'm, I'm really impressed that you were able to just start this from an idea, from your passion. And really, I mean, this is precision that 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 no other distillery has has uh, reached yet. Uh, maybe they have. There's probably there's some really good whiskeys out there. I think our friends at Two Bar are doing fantastic. Yep. But you guys set the standard early on, and you having a timber company or paper and pulp mill. There's some resources there that I can tell because if you gave me a a, a sheet that says, "Hey, here's our business plan. You're going to invest X amount of dollars, and you won't see anything for seven, eight, nine years." <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I always joke the business plan was essentially it was actually more complicated than this, but sure. it was essentially we're going to make something that's never been made successfully in the United States before, out of the most expensive raw ingredient you could possibly use to make whiskey. Uh, we have no revenue for at least three years, and we have no idea how it's going to taste. You know, like let's do this. Oh, and let's, by the <laughs> way, you're going to lose two percent a year. <laughs> oh yeah, at least you know. So it's it's a it's a crazy proposition, and that's one of the reasons why. You know, there are almost 2,000 distilleries, I think, in this country, and Washington State is, is leading the boom in that, but we are one of only four dedicated single malt whiskey distilleries in America. So it was a huge bet. It was a big swing and, and really big credit to the, the folks that I started the business with that, to have that same vision and commitment to it, um, you know, but, but that's it. You kind of have to swing for the fences sometimes. Well, good for you, and you've got some big lumber behind you. Uh, are you from Hoquiam? I'm not, no, but- um, Aberdeen? The- the-, the Family that I started the business with is yeah. My neighbors, uh, same thing. They their their grandparents own this. You know, they're very well to do because of the the timber company, and uh, very patient. And I understand patience is is you got to wait for the the harvest, and it's going to take you fifty years for trees or a hundred years, whatever it is. Uh, and when was the first release? Uh, so you started. You actually distilled your first drop, or you let's see, you malted your first barley. Yeah, we uh, we were doing prototype stuff in 2010 and 2011 and really started at scale in 2011. Um, so we released our first whiskey in late 2013. And uh, starting slowly, you know, we, we could only release what we had available. But um, yeah, we pushed from there. Fantastic. The idea of having a peated whiskey is really unique as well. And I think when we talk about whiskeys, most whiskeys in the United States are in that bourbon fashion unless we're doing blends from Canada, of course, lighter styles from Ireland. And, uh, of course, we get peat from Scotland. Where is, is we have bogs here in Washington. No, we got cranberry bogs. Is there some peat bogs here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of people are really surprised when they hear that when we've got peat bogs. We have something like 50,000 acres of peat bogs in Washington State alone. Um, but nobody really knows about it because unlike, you know, in Scotland and Ireland where they had peat and they do still dig up peat for fuel, we never had to do that because we always had trees here. But yeah, most people didn't know that. You know, we've been experimenting. Rivers, you know, we used to uh, we had salmon to uh, uh, figure out. Um, well, this is really cool. Where is the? Where are the peat bogs? Are they on the coast? Are they inland? Are they up north? You know, they're kind of they're kind of all over the place, actually. Really? So I want to say that Ravenna was the Ravenna neighborhood was a peat bog at one point, and it's not anymore. Oh, funny. So you see stuff all the way from you know the rainforest and the coast. You even see some stuff east of the Cascades. It's much more concentrated west of the Cascades, up 
all the way up. Because peat is really corner. an organic material that takes long times to basically disintegrate or decompose into a rich carbon fuel. Whereas the east side of the mountains is more dry, so they don't necessarily have. They'd be more petrified stuff over exactly. there. Exactly. Uh, okay. So as, as um, master distiller, are you selecting grains? Are you finding farmers that uh, figure out that what what you want in a particular style of grain? Is there a different? Are, are, are barley breeded, or are there different gen- genus? Oh man, there's there's species? there's so much to talk about in there. So one of the first things that we thought when we came into this business was nobody wants to talk about barley. So you will hear from whiskey producers all over the world that barley doesn't matter, and that's like that's preposterous. You know, you you're it's your you're, source ingredient. It's your source ingredient. You're a sommelier, so. Right. As you can understand, if if we were drinking wine, right, if we were drinking red wine, and you said, Matt, this red wine tastes really good. What kind of grape goes in it? And I said, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, like, how would you Still react wine. to that? And uh, that's, but that's actually how the, the whiskey world works, you know? And um, so one of the things that we started off with is saying, look, the craft brewing industry uses barley in a totally different way. They're sourcing barleys that have flavors of chocolates and nuts, uh, pastries, things like that. And everything in Scotland is driven by yield and efficiency, you know, you never see the equivalent of a porter or a stout being made into whiskey over there. I always thought that was super puzzling. So this is one of these things we talk about being evocative of the Northwest and terroir and concepts like this. You know, the craft brewing scene here definitely taught us how to make whiskey in a different way because we were starting from scratch. So we use roasted malts like you would use to make a porter or a stout. Uh, whereas everybody in Scotland is using something that you would use to have like a pilsner, yeah, for otter, example. pale otter malt. Exactly. So it yields less, but the flavor is extraordinary. So um, that was the big thing that we started with, and we've been pushing from there. It's a huge innovation compared to Scottish whiskey. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, we've been doing a ton of work on research of varietals, like you were talking about. So different um, varieties, genetically different varieties of barley strains. Uh, we have used... I want to say 17 different barley varietals at Westland over the past five years, which is more, I think, than the entire Scottish whiskey industry combined. (laughs) Because we're seeking out these different flavors, and that's just not part of the motivation. I want to be very clear. You know, the Scottish whiskey distillers are making great whiskey, but they're just getting that flavor from the cask and the length of time there. We are focusing more on where the stuff comes from, from the barley itself. All right, that's really interesting. I love learning about that, different different types of barley. And we're going to talk about the specific expressions you have here and some of that barley with Matt Hoffman, the uh, co-founder and master distiller at Westland Distillery here in downtown Seattle and Soto. Hey, folks, stick around. we got more coming up on Happy Hour Radio. Some say three is a crowd. We say the more the merrier. Markley, Van Camp, and Robbins. Weekdays, 9 to noon. KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, ho, ho, ho. Time for round three. I got four bottles of whiskey, four glasses of whiskey. And uh, yes, I do take whiskey and one Cooper Super Cool Master Distiller. Matt Hoffman of Westland Distillery is here, and they're located in Soto. Uh, we're talking about uh, really one of the only distilleries in the United States that focuses on a single malt distillation. And Matt, we were talking about 17 varieties of barley. Have you been experimenting with them? Do you have some small distillations that you like test stuff that you get to play with? Or I know winemakers always make a barrel of something on the side. Yeah, you know, we just kind of we just kind of go for it. You know, at a certain amount, there's there's tests that we can do in advance, but you know. You're never really going to make progress unless you 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 actually 
make a concerted effort to to try something and you can you can study it to death without actually ever getting anywhere so we tend to <laughs> uh, this is this is kind of the way you know is is 40% of our total production on a yearly basis is dedicated to stuff that nobody's ever seen before in their lives. And uh, that's a lot, you know, that's a big thing, but that's a big, again, that's a big part of who Westland is as a company is really focused on, you know, pushing single malt whiskey forward rather than relying on history tradition. We don't have the history and tradition because we're not Scottish. So all we can do is push forward. So, yeah, so we're really committed to that. And I think, you know, usually we will have to take something like 20,000 pounds of, of malted barley to really consider something. We use about really? an acre's worth of barley every day. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And so uh, is this a tri-state or a Pacific Northwest regional, or were we strictly Washington, or do you have other um, backups? Because I know that you know it's better to have 10 sources and pick your favorite five versus five sources, and and if you only need five, you have more than five sources, right? Yeah. So the the beauty of it, like we were saying before, you know, the, the Pacific Northwest is one of the best places to grow barley in the world. You know, Honestly, it's better than Scotland is right. for, for growing barley. And uh, so we, we source most of our barley, 80% of it, and the number continues to grow every year from Washington State alone. Now, within Washington State, we're sourcing from the Palouse. We're sourcing from the Skagit Valley, Skagit Valley yeah. as well. Um, doing quite a bit of that now. Uh, but we're also sourcing from other parts of the Northwest. You know, you include uh, um, a little bit down into Oregon, uh, the Willamette Valley sure. in eastern Oregon, and then a little bit up into BC, too. It's a To me, it's a Pacific Northwest thing more than it's a Washington State Yeah, we're State talking thing. valleys, right? It's yeah. either the Columbia Valley, the Okanagan Valley, the Willamette Valley. I mean, these are just, when we think of valleys, are verdant areas because they've got sunshine and, and water, of course. Um, you mentioned something about uh, when you roast malt, you actually have a lower um, output of product. Is that because you're losing some of the, the sugars through caramelization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, to go to go really nerdy with it, which is definitely my happy place, is, <laughs> is you have something called the Maillard reaction. Maillard. So, so that's you know sugar and amino acid coming together, producing flavor. So. Everybody experiences this throughout their day. Whenever you make toast, that's that same reaction. If you sear a steak, same reaction. So you just don't really know it. You don't know what it's called, and that's fine. But that's creating those flavors. Yeah, you do. But every time you do, you know, you're lowering your yields because the sugar would otherwise go to fermentation. Right. I see. It makes sense. Um, well, uh, all this talk is making me um, um, a bit parched. Me too. We should start with, uh, well, from left to right, I was told. First dram. Yeah, let's start with our American oak. So American oak is our flagship expression. You know, if you think about within the core three, you know, this to us is the most important one. And the reason behind that is it's pushing the boundaries further on each aspect of our whiskey. So I mentioned before, we've got these roasted malts. So when you when you nose the whiskey, you get some nice, you know, like waffle cone, like freshly made ice cream cone. If you think about the Puyallup Fair, or I guess I'm dating myself. No, no, no. But the Puyallup Fair, I'm going to say Puyallup Fair. They still Fair. do that. They're only $10 now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the... Um, you know, you can get that really nice multi note. Then on the palate, you're going to get a lot more of that chocolate, uh, nuttiness, kind of Nutella sort of flavor. Uh, but in addition to that, we're also fermenting, again, taking a cue from the brewing industry, we're fermenting with a Belgian Saison uh, brewer's yeast. Really? Which is way different, like polar opposite. So that gets you more esters, right? More floral exactly characters right. and things? Exactly right. Uh, Belgian Saison yeast will give you as, kind of as close to a wild type fermentation as you can get. And that's exactly what we wanted to do. Again, the industry standard in Scotland has been to use the same type of yeast because it is the highest yielding. And we just said, well, wait a second. Why why do breweries get to do this and we can't? And right. There's no good answer to that, so we just did it. And every good whiskey or distillation starts with a good beer. I would think so. Or, yeah. I mean, not everyone, but yeah, I mean, if that's... you want something very unique, uh, this like this is. Now, what I really dig is really, 
I like the flavor of barley. Yeah. And I think it's it's kind of an oatmeal-y, creamy kind of a texture on the palate. Um, certainly some nuttiness here. For this particular whiskey, are you blending different sort of ages of whiskey to craft one so you have a, a singular expression on an annual basis? Yeah, whenever we make a release. So these are all single malts, which means that it's 100% malted barley and coming from one distillery. But within that, we're blending together different casks to create... Um, you know, a well-rounded flavor profile. We want to be able to taste the barley, the yeast, the fermentation, those bright fruity notes, the cherry notes, the lemon, as well as the caramel vanilla that comes from the American oak cast for which this whiskey is named. So for that, we're looking at, you know, several different types of ages between four and six years, typically. So that's that's typically the range that we're using. That's the sweet spot. Yummy. Um, I just noticed 46% alcohol, and this does not taste hot. In fact, um, this is so impressive because it, it is complex. It's complex, but it's so deliciously palatable, which I'll use the Crown Royal expression. Crown Royal, to me, was always very, very deliciously soft and palatable. This this particular whiskey is the same, but at the finish here, it kind of stops you and it gives you so much more lingering texture and that nuttiness. And there's some tannin in there. How long are your staves, and are they coopered here in Washington? How long do you air those out? Are those air-dried? Are they sun-dried? Are they kiln-dried? Yeah, that's a super important point, actually. So... Um we use so American oak. When we say that, we're saying a specific species, Quercus alba, which grows in the eastern half of the U.S. So it doesn't grow here, but it is ubiquitous. It's used by every distillery in the whiskey industry. We are one of the few distilleries that does do air drying on the staves, like a winery would, which breaks down um, the tannins, the harsh tannins, which and, are green because you're chopping a green tree. Exactly. So, um, so that's done by basically every winery that I'm aware of, but it almost never happens in whiskey. So we're drying those because they want 18, speed. I mean, months. that's the whole thing. They're productive. It's the right? name of the game. That's, they want to get it out there as fast as they can and make sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I understand that part. And that's but, what makes Jim Beam twelve bucks or whatever. It yeah, is. exactly. But that's. But we don't need to behave that way as no. an industry anymore. That to me, that's like you know, people are still behaving back when nobody was drinking whiskey forty years ago. Like whiskey is booming everywhere. We can start to focus now on what is the best thing for quality to deliver that. Because people are are really buying into whiskey now at a huge level all around the world. So we can just focus on quality. So the you know the thing for us with this is breaking down the tannins and the yolk and that creaminess that you're experiencing. You know we bottle at 46 percent alcohol by volume, which kind of brings with it more flavors. Um, but people people tend to think higher alcohol and more heat does you know as you would say uh, more intensity. But we don't chill filter any of our whiskeys. That's a super important point. It's kind of a complicated thing to understand, but essentially. You know, if you don't ever want your whiskey to cloud, hazy, right? Protein exactly. haze, yeah. You filter the whiskey when it's cold, but that strips out a lot of those oils that make that creamy feeling and a lot of the flavor. And so, if you're looking for whiskey, my general advice I mean, you should buy some Westland, of course, but if you're not buying Westland, my general <laughs> advice is, you know, look for that on a label, non-chill filtered, and you get that rich creaminess. Well, I've seen that on some single malt scotch labels uh, recently over the over the years, I should say, as as they introduce new expressions to try to gain some traction in the marketplace, some marketing jargon, if you will. Um, I'm super impressed with this because at 46% alcohol, you're getting a lot of bang for your buck, but it's not hot. This and it's it's well oaked, but it's not over oaked. I mean, you know, I was drinking Maker's Mark 15 years ago and doing Manhattan's, and thought that was it. But I realized that tastes like a two by four today to me because they're probably you know they became a big deal. And they probably rushed some of their stuff, but there's still some harsh some harsh tannins in there. Whereas this particular and so we've got some good oak trees here. Is that right? So I mean, it's all about what you select. You know, there's amazing quality of oak. You know, both 
both in the eastern half of the USWs for American Oak and and the stuff that we have here locally, which we'll certainly get into here in a minute. But um, you know, it's it's all about what is your motivation. You know, it doesn't. A lot of distilleries are saying eighty percent of the flavor comes from the cast. Well, that's not an absolute. You know, you can choose to make a whiskey less oaky depending upon the type of wood you use and how long you age it. Sure. And uh, I think people are just now beginning to figure that out. You know, that why don't we celebrate those raw ingredients and the oak is just are there you on saying the side. distillers producers are figuring that out that there's more expression yeah. or, or even the public because Both. yeah well it's good the public needs to be aware when you see a sherry cask. I mean first of all you're not thinking it's first of all, it's not fino sherry it's going to be Oloroso or PX. So understand some of the language that's on the label is really important. And so as an American single malt, is that actually a defined term? Oh, man. By TTV? So it is not yet, but we realized that that was going to be super important to do because we knew that um, you know bourbon is a defined term, scotch yes. whiskey is a defined term, and that didn't exist for American single malts. And we've actually seen something really negative happen in the Japanese whiskey space. If anybody's familiar with Japanese whiskey, some amazing stuff is being produced in Japan, but there's no regulation. So now all of a sudden there's people who are literally shipping in whiskey from all over the world, all from right. Canada, from Ireland, from Scotland, from America. Into Japan. Into Japan, bottled there, call it Japanese whiskey, and that's that's really bad. You know? Yeah, that's... Bad for the... For their category. So we wrote a definition. Uh, we wrote a definition for American single malt whiskey. If you want to learn more, anybody who's listening, just go to American single malt whiskey. That's whiskey with an E.org. And you can learn more about that effort. And we got together originally eight other producers of single malt in the U.S., wrote that definition. Now there's more than 130 producers completely on share. Fantastic. Uh, this is so fun. We've got more whiskey. I'm going to have to invite you back next week so we can drink more of these whiskeys because uh, we just got a little bit of time. And I want to talk so much more. Uh, this is a real treat. Got Matt Hoffman, who is the co-founder, master distiller at Westland Whiskey in Soto of Seattle. Stick around, folks. Our last event is coming up here on Happy Hour Radio. Putting America first and holding the powerful accountable. Sean Hannity, weekdays 6 to 9 p.m. Talk Radio 570 KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, ho, ho, ho. Hold up. We uh, we got so much whiskey here with my pal uh, Matt Hoffman, my new best friend in the distilling business. Uh, talk about a singular experience. It's Westland Distillery in Soto, down on Thirst Avenue, as we're calling it these days. Uh, they've got tours. Let's talk about that. Tours and tastings? Yeah, absolutely. We, we do tours and tastings. You can see the whole process, everything being made. Um, we have... No secrets. We were once called alarmingly transparent by an intellectual property attorney. So you can come down. You can learn how everything is made. Um, there's always stuff that you can buy there that you can't buy anywhere else. Um, and we've got a you know a really is cool... in what some special expressions, some reserve. Yeah, exactly. Or... So we've oh, okay. always got a couple of expressions, a single cask. You know, that's directly. It's literally a cask with a tap in it. You fill your own bottle, which is quite cool. <laughs> it's a very satisfying. Can feeling. we get the cask? <laughs> get... Maybe I... if you're last there, you just say, oh, "Take this with me on my way out." That's right. And then we suck them on the stage. <laughs> mm. So fun. What are the hours? Uh, we are typically open, so at this time of year, it's really busy. So, you know, we're typically open from uh, 12 to 8, uh, Tuesday through uh, Saturday, and we're open from 12 to 6 on Sunday. I like that. I was set, chatting with someone uh, from Snohomish whose taste room opens up, I think, at 10 a.m. <laughs> like, Tis the season. Tis the season. Um, so fun. Well, we're tasting the American Oak Expression. This is the first one. And how long did it take you to, to determine this was the right recipe? So it's it's kind of funny because... 
the very first barrel of whiskey we made was made with this recipe, this combination of these roasted malts that you would you know use to make a porter, the Belgian yeast, and New American oak. So we started by going all in on innovation. Like we we didn't start safe, you know, we didn't start with what was expected, like you'd have in Scotland, but getting the exact details right because once you have that maturing um, and everything is completely naturally matured. Um, you know, then you have to say, okay, what is what does our climate give us? What is what does the Pacific Northwest say that this whiskey should be? And you can't rush that. You can't change that. Um, at least we don't believe so philosophically. Um, so there's a little bit of tweaking, but we're now in a really nice space and have been for several years. And the the goal with this whiskey, as well as Sherrywood and Peated, is to be consistent. Well, that's that is the the key for any uh, house style or. or- any product, right? We want consistency. That's why definitely McDonald's the core is- the core products. You know, I think that that's really important. You know, we also do stuff where you know limited editions where sure. something is new. But I I think it's really important to always have something you can go back to no matter where you are in the world, no matter what time of year it is or what year it is, and say this is what Westland. Is. This is my my comfort blanket, yeah. my comfort dram. Um, how many bottles of American Oak Westland single malt? American single malt whiskey have you produced, do you think? I think, you know, we're up to probably about 70,000 and 70, growing 000. quite rapidly. We're, you know, we're selling whiskey all over the world now as well. Yeah. Um, so that's quite an exciting Well, that's thing. right. You have an international partner, I understand. We do. Good absolutely. friends over so, at uh, Very Luxurious. Uh, yeah, we do. <laughs> we work with, uh, with Remy Cointreau and, uh, you know, we, the whole thing for us is we thought that there's some real potential here for, you know, whiskey enthusiasts worldwide. And, you know, that comes you know, with a huge challenge in terms of distribution, like, you know, to go and speak to people all over the world, you know, is a massive, massive undertaking, um, you know, and they get it. And the great thing with uh, with Remy Cointreau is, is, you know, they also, you know, partnered work with Brooklady Distillery in Scotland, which is one of my favorites, Isn't it? you know, super terroir focused. And um, with expressions yeah. too, with that, you know, they're going for this is this expression, this is this singular expression. Exactly. Single farm, single vintages, Isla grown stuff. Have you and, been out there? Oh, yeah. Oh, good yeah, for definitely. you. Yeah, it's a, it's a blast. And, you know, that's the, that's the thing is we're kind of kindred spirits here. And there's not a ton of, you know, whiskey distillers. And again, there's a lot of whiskey that's being produced that's, that's amazing, but there's not a ton of whiskey that's being produced that's really truly evocative of the place where it comes from. And that's, you know, Brooklady is our sister distillery, which I literally have had dreamed about in the past. So fun. Uh, Brooklady is on the island of Isla, which is, I believe, in the southwest area of Scotland. Um, you have to go there. It's, isn't it just one giant peat? <laughs> yeah, peat? pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and that's why you'll find their signature style. In fact, I think there has to be a minimum for single malt scotches from there. For To call it Isla, you have to have a certain amount of peat on it, unless you've got some dispensation, which well, I'm that's sure Well, that's actually the, the kind of the funny thing about Brooklady is is they're one of the few distilleries that does a lot more of the steps, you know, on Isla. I think to be Isla, as far as I know, it's just distilled on on Isla. But they're one of a couple distilleries only that you know grow barley on Isla. Um, you know, they're doing some, uh, uh, they're doing all their warehousing on Isla stuff like that. So, yeah, they they're really Isla focused, and that includes the community of Isla as well. Fantastic. Uh, Matt Hoffman, can you come back? Stay in studio. We're going to do another show for next week. Uh, we've got three more whiskeys to taste and a lot more to talk about. This is so fun. What is the website for Westland Distillery? Yeah, you just go to westlanddistillery.com. There's also you know the various social things, at Westland Whiskey, Instagram, Twitter, things like that. Uh, same thing with Facebook. So find us on all of them. All right. It's uh, Westland, uh, the American Oak. Uh, is this like $45, 55 bucks? Because it's this is so flavorful. I would imagine it's 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 a premium product. And, it, of course, with all the, the care you take, 
there should be an investment to make. Um, is that what can we get it for? At yeah. So so pre tax depends on on how the store is listed here, but usually when you see stuff on shelf, it's pre tax fifty five dollar pre tax. Got it. Yep. All right, folks. Hey, stick around uh, for next week's show. We've got three more uh, expressions of Westland whiskey. And remember, when you're out and about this holiday season, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers.